is the weekend, uh, as we've mentioned in some of the, um, the updates, uh, looking forward to this Sunday, that many in Chicago would be participating in the Pride Parade in Chicago. And, um, and so um, as, as a way to mark that um, and as a way to kick off um, a new series of discussions, uh, today we will be talking about queer insights on God and faith. Uh, this, uh, this, this is going to be a part of a series of discussions, and we're calling it God of the Oppressed, and that we're borrowing a phrase from the late James Cone, who is the foremost writer on Black liberation theology, which will be one of the things that we visit during this series of discussions. We're going to be immersing ourselves one at a time in various different marginalized perspectives uh, on Jesus and on the Bible and on faith in God at large. Uh, really, we can't come to a proper theology or understanding of Jesus, the, the God that we're centered on here, at all if we're not doing that from a marginalized perspective, because Jesus was a marginalized person. And so uh, the challenge is that in America, what mostly colors our understanding of God is a powerful perspective. It's a Euro, European American, white, straight, uh, uh, powerful, dominant culture theology that we all are kind of, we believe that's what's normal and then we are just, everything else is extracurricular. So we hope this series helps to sort of centralize marginalized perspectives on God and on Jesus and on faith. Uh, so Kyle, what, um, what can you tell us more about what to expect with this series? Kyle Hanawalt, my co-pastor, everyone. Hello, everyone. Um, yeah, what we're kicking off today is a conversation. I think for us, it's um, always been important for us as a church to make sure that we were listening to voices of uh, people whom society had marginalized. And that is chiefly because we see Jesus as God of the oppressed uh, manifest. Like that is who Jesus was. Um, and for us, one thing we talk a lot about at this church is that nobody has an accurate view of the world. We all see it through our own lenses. And particularly faith in America has been colored by the lens of Euro-American white straight male theologians. Like that, that is the powerful um, in this country right now that it, to be a white male Christian is still uh, a powerful perspective to have. Um, there's a reason why our our elected officials are almost all, except up to this last election, all Christian in name. And there's a sense of what that power means is that I think we miss perspectives on who God is. And that is because God, as we see in the beginning, uh, puts his image in all of us. God is seen through all of us. And as we uh, actually in kids church, we have been, uh, we, we, we talked about the story in Acts where the followers of Jesus experienced the Holy Spirit for the first time and uh, how they begin speaking in a different language so that pastor buyers of all sorts of different backgrounds were able to hear the good news of Jesus in their own language. And I see that as almost a, a, uh, a validating of the work that God did in the Tower of Babel, which kind of closes the opening narrative of the Bible this picture of God's desire for diversity and difference and then validated in the Holy Spirit speaking to each of us in our own language and way uh, to speak the good news of Jesus. And because I think we see in our society over the last month, the tangible damage that we have all experienced by not listening to marginalized voices, by only listening to them uh, part way, almost as a, you know, Vince and I talked a little bit about how 
uh, what was the reference? It was somebody talking about how in class, it was a podcast, right? It was talking about how in theology, it was a sense of like, whenever you were reading or researching perspectives of non-white Anglo-American theologians, that was treated as the extracurriculars. Like the real mainstream is like, how do we get back to these white Anglo-American men and listen to what they really have to say? And I just think that if we are not being intentional as a society to listen to marginalized voices, we will end up where we've ended up in this country. And if we as a church are not listening to the perspectives of those who experience marginalization, those who I think might actually have the most accurate picture of who Jesus is, walking a life that more closely mirrors the life that he walked, we are gonna miss what God has for us. And I think that that's why today on Pride Weekend, it felt important for us to take a minute and recognize perhaps the most marginalized of perspectives when it comes to faith in Jesus. And that's the queer perspective. Um, and so we're thankful to take a minute and say, what are things that those of us who are not queer are able to learn about who God is by listening to the perspectives of voices that are often not listened to? Um, and with that, I'll pass it back to, to Vince who will introduce uh, the rest of our conversation. Thanks, Kyle. Yeah. Um, so at today's discussion in honor of Pride Month, uh, Queer Insights on God and Faith. And we've invited uh, Brown Line's own uh, Rebecca Janvrin, who is a person who identifies as a person of faith and queer, uh, to help us along. Rebecca has been a part of um, a, our podcast group that um, uh, Kyle uh, was mentioning, a podcast that we uh, that is uh, is part of the podcast group that our church has. We listen to interviews with Bible scholars or Bible teachers or Bible professors um, that uh, are just fascinating and deep and, and do really try to push the envelope to find, um, find uh, non-white perspectives on faith and non-powerful perspectives on Jesus. Uh, and uh, Rebecca's been a part of this group that um, has been great fun. I've had such a great time uh, with, uh, with her and the others a part of this group. I think it's the group that is uh, really doing some of like the, 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 the biggest uh, theological work in our church. Like we are engaging big stuff and I kind of like keep like poking them and prodding them. Like I, I, I went to school for things of theology and these guys are saying brilliant, incredible things that I don't think they realize how brilliant they are. Rebecca is one of those people. So I'm thrilled uh, that she helped us to develop what we're going to talk about today. And Rebecca, uh, can, can you introduce yourself and just tell us a little bit more about yourself before we dive in? Hello, um, I'm Rebecca. I'm here and I'm queer. Um, I, yeah, I, <laughs> um, I'm Rebecca. Uh, hopefully a bunch of you guys know me from church around and about, um, but I am also a queer person of faith. Um, and that's hopefully the perspective I'll be bringing today. Um, should I just, so I guess I'll just start, a lot of queer people have to start with like uh, some vocab. So I'm gonna give you guys some vocab uh, to begin. Uh, I am, I identify as cisgender bisexual. Um, so those are the vocab words. Uh, cisgender basically means that I feel comfortable in the gender that I was assigned at birth. Um, I was born and told my whole life that I was female and that feels pretty standard and comfortable for me. Um, that is not necessarily true for everybody, but that is my experience. Um, and then also I am bisexual, which I like to define as attraction to people of genders that are both similar to and different from my own. Um, that's, it, or uh, there's a lot of other ways to sort of talk about it or talk about attraction that's similar, non-monosexual or um, pansexual or other terms that are thrown around. Really, I like the umbrella term of queer. It just seems to fit really well. Um, queer feels right. Queer feels like I don't have to fully explain what's going on. I'm just 
probably not, I'm definitely not straight. <laughs> so yeah, that's, uh, and then I'm also a person of faith. I've been uh, various flavors of Christian <laughs> throughout my life. Um, yeah, it was, yeah, that's, I've been, uh, uh, I was uh, confirmed in a Lutheran church because that was the only English speaking church in Denmark when I was living there at age 13. Uh, I like have been a United Methodist and Unitarian Universalist and now here, so. Sorry, I'm muting myself. Very good. Thank you, Rebecca. Uh, so uh, uh, in planning for today, oh, please. I think at some point we should have an entire discussion of if your uh, experience of faith was flavors of ice cream. Um, <laughs> I grew up a little on Rocky Road, um, but now I'm experiencing some, no, sorry. I, I've been I've been in a lot of discussions in this church with people. Some people will laugh at this because I like to use the salsa rating scale for how how intense your religious experience was. Was it mild, medium, or spicy? So I don't know. I, I feel like ice cream is is just as good as uh, as salsa. So uh, really, really glad we threw that out there. Important stuff that we're groundbreaking theological work here at Brownline Church. Um, but uh, we, uh, we, in planning for today's discussion, um, we worked with Rebecca to identify three specific insights that we thought um, a queer perspective brings um, to a fuller picture of Jesus and, and who God is. So we're going to take these in turn. I'll share uh, just so we can like kind of see what we're talking about. And then, uh, and then we'll hear uh, Rebecca respond to them and, and Kyle and I can ask questions as we go. So first off, let's, uh, let's get our first up on the screen here. Uh, we have uh, when you have room for more than just uh, binaries, you see, of course, God is relational and a trinity. So, uh, Rebecca, tell us more about this perspective. Yeah. Um, so one of the very first things that my queerness, my queer identity um, showed me when I first came out to myself and then to the world was that binaries don't really exist. Binaries, binaries are anything in life where you have sort of an either or. Um, uh, so for example, I'm attracted to either men or women. Uh, I am either male or female. Nope, none of those things exist. That's all, everything is a spectrum and not a binary. Um, there's a lot of different ways to view the world and it's sort of this queer kaleidoscope that ends up appearing when you think that way. When I, and that was one of the things that sort of broke down a lot of I think I'll say wrong ways of thinking for me. Oh, and just as a quick disclaimer, I'm going to try to speak as much as I can to the truth of my experience, but I'm going to admit up front that it is not going to be the same for every queer person. Um, and I do just want to say that, like, I'm going to do my best. <laughs> uh, I might get something wrong. I might misspeak. So forgive me, but I'm going to try to proceed uh, as much as possible with the truth of my own experience. Um, yeah, so binaries don't exist. That's my experience. Um, that... Uh, anything where there's an either or is not gonna be something that's really true. And so one thing that that gave me early on as a Christian was, oh, of course there are three parts to God. That makes so much sense, why not? Um, there's uh, like God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that's easy to swallow, but there's also, um, you know, you can see different, using the word flavors again, flavors of God, God's nurturer, God's attender, God's mother, God, God beyond gender, um, all of these things. It's very easy to see how all of these things exist when binaries don't exist in your thinking. 
I love that so much. Um, I, in particular for me, so my best window into this as, as somebody who is, is not queer has been the, um, something we've talked about before in this church, soulmate ideology, which is like this, this thing that kind of like Disney has perpetrated among many other things <laughs> in our world. It's like that the only way to be happy, the way actually to, to be fulfilled in life is to find a soulmate. And, um, and, and I've, uh, I've experienced that that's like, that, 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 that is damaging um, because it, it just kind of lays everything. If you are a partnered person, it lays everything on that partner. If you're not a partnered person, it lays everything on the fact that you're not a partnered person and you hate your life and you feel unfulfilled. And, um, and so that has, has been a, a window for me into this, this same idea of like, oh my gosh, like God is, if, if we don't see God as more than just like a, 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 an individual relating to another individual, there is, uh, there's something missing there. If, if, we, if we do see that, uh, there's so much more. And I just love, I mean, like th this is something that's sort of like wired into your identity that allows you to see like there, there's this, this, I mean, maybe the most ancient piece of theology that helps us to understand Jesus is this idea of a triune God, the Trinity, where uh, God's uh, love uh, for all of us flows out of this like back and forth love between these three parts. And it's this really beautiful piece of, of, of theology that I think has helped a lot of people understand God is relational. God is not a set of ideas. God is not even a good set of ideas. Like a, it, it, he's more than just like an, the most greatest ethic of all time. God is relational and we can interact with that. So I love this. Yeah, yeah definitely. Go ahead, uh, Kyle. I was just gonna say the thing that made me connect with is the sense of like, when we move away from thinking about stuff just as good, bad, right, wrong, left, right, like these clear binaries of who you are, male, female, straight, uh, who you attracted to, it, it changes the dynamic of, of the way that we wrestle with the world. It's, it, it makes it a much more creative and uh, relationally necessary process. Like we are, we're constant, and to me, when I think about the idea of the Holy Spirit and Jesus and God as a triune thing to interact with me, it, it's the sense of like, uh, if things were just uh, this kind of binary understanding of stuff, then you could almost just exist in a, in a world of like, as long as I understand what those binaries are, I can try to make sure that I'm living on the right side of that binary, opposed to recognizing like, the need to navigate life and in, in relationship with this relational God. And I think that feels helpful to me to, to think about it like that. Awesome. Yeah. Another thing that we talk about in podcast groups sometimes is sort of this idea that comes out of what I'm going to call toxic Christianity of like, you're either in or you're out, you're either saved or you're not that sort of idea. Um, which luckily actually has really not been my experience of Christianity for the most part, but I definitely see the harmful effects um, in other people's stories that I've heard and that I've, you know, been sort of on the sidelines of. And in or out is another binary. That's another binary that we just have to say that doesn't really exist. Awesome. Awesome. Really great. All right. Our next insight that we... Sorry, I forgot to unmute myself again, guys. I was just, I was just speaking about how wonderful and amazing that was. <laughs> um, our next insight uh, that we have uh, coming up is that when the prevailing cultural message to you has been you're broken, you see the power of being fearfully and wonderfully made, which is a quotation from Psalm 139. Uh, Rebecca, tell, tell us more about this perspective. 
Yeah, um, I really like this particular passage. Um, the whole thing that I pulled was, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And for me, um, it just really feels like what the narrator is saying um, is that I, because I know myself, I know God better and I know that he knows me. It basically, I know who I am, so I know God, and God knows me. Um, there's a lot there to, like, I get to sort of decide for myself as well. Um, there's definitely probably a way to read this passage where somebody could be like, well, made by God means you don't get to decide, which is not true at all. Um, God, nothing is shocking to God. We know that. Um, and so he's going to know the deepest inmost part of you. So if you're in a body that society would assign as male, but you feel inside, no, I am female. That guess what? You know yourself deeply and God knows that part of you too and made you fearfully and wonderfully and loves that part of you. And why wouldn't he? <laughs> of course. Um, personally, I really, my whole experience with God has been a lot of feeling love and acceptance at every point of my journey. Luckily, I know that this is not true for a lot of people. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of uh sense that um brokenness is something that society and not god places upon queer people um mm. god knows us intimately and deeply and made us intimately and deeply and wants us to be happy and so only society could decide you're not right somehow that is such a wonderful turn of phrase that brokenness is something that society places on us, not God places on us. And, and truly, if we are speaking of the, the, um, the God that is reflected in the Judeo-Christian tradition and in the life of Jesus, we have to have an, a humanity-affirming uh, like perspective on, uh, on, on people, an affirming perspective on humanity. We are not uh, um, uh, fundamentally terrible and rotten and, you know, like need to be, you know, totally, uh, you know, like slapped into shape. We are fundamentally good and, and life is full of sufferings and traps that send us in broken places. Uh, but at, at our most core, there is that wonderfully made, that fearfully wonderfully made. And wow, what a perspective you bring to that just with, uh, with your story. <laughs> And, and as, you're, as you're forecasting, I would say, you know, for many of our LGBTQ friends, that, is, that, that, that maybe is even all the more powerful, uh, or we would hope it would become all the more powerful because of the messages that are often received in religious settings. Definitely. Definitely. It is so important to hear, hey, I see you deeply, and I know you deeply, and I love you deeply. Um, just sort of knowing that that acceptance from God never stops even when you don't feel it in the world around you is transformational. It's, uh, just, it's so clear and so grateful for your experience, Rebecca, of that not being a message that was uh, uh, denied of you in your personal experience and knowing that that has been a message that has been denied of so many. Um, and I think that there is a uh, there's like a joy I see you talking about it that is the kind of thing that like as a pastor you, that's what you long for people to feel is like that person is seen and cared for by God um, and it makes me uh, 
dream of a version of the world where we all get to experience faith in that lens and deeply lament the, the that, that not everybody has been able to grow up in, in your experience and, and very thankful for being able to hear what is it like what's it like if you actually did grow up and were queer and were validated at the same time like that's a kind of in a religious setting like those things don't really exist and you're like oh look how look at the joy that rebecca's bringing to the table oh that's that's nice that that actually gets to happen when when you experience validation and not a reinforcement of of, of the world narrative of brokenness yeah happy pride <laughs> <laughs> that certainly speaks to uh, a, a big dream of our church, which is to to shift the narrative about God and about faith and about the Bible in in our in our world. And so, um, yeah, so wonderful. All right, uh, one last perspective that we can uh, dive into a bit here. Let's see. There we go. Uh, it is that when you've been a religious scapegoat you see Jesus on the cross is about self-sacrificial love, not a violent God. And uh, this is one that I, I, I feel a lot of connection to. Um, and Rebecca, t- tell us more about how that hits you. Yeah, um, we were talking about this and um, you talked about how uh, Jesus on the cross, a lot of times it seems like, oh, well, isn't that God demanding blood for sin? Um, but actually, no, it's society expecting that there must be suffering if there's going to be peace and love. Um, and that's something that rings very true in queer narratives, especially in queer representation in media. Um, and that's something that sort of lit up my brain. Um, just queer stories in media are um, full of suffering and tragedy. Um, even still there, it's getting better. It's getting better bit by bit, but there are still a lot of times where if you're seeing a queer person, you can sort of expect some level of pain or suffering for their story, um, or even death. Um, and that's, um, not what queer people experience for the most part, or, or at least it's a very dangerous thing to tell queer people, you must suffer. Yours is the path of suffering. It's not the Um, only story about them. Exactly. Well, we want what everybody else wants, love and acceptance, right? (laughs) Um, So yeah, there was, um, just to sort of track the history of this a little bit, the Hayes Code in the 1930s said no queer people at all because they're morally repugnant. We know that's not true. Um, And then for a long time, uh, queer people were only villains. They were queer-coded villains. It wasn't explicitly said, but like if you had a man who was less powerfully masculine, he clearly must have been gay, that sort of awful thing. Um, and then only side characters, often who were sort of considered more expendable than their heterosexual um, co-stars. And then if you had a protagonist, very often as a direct consequence of coming out or entering a queer relationship, they would either go through some horrible tragedy or their partner would die or they would die. It just a lot of dark, difficult, problematic things happening. And that's sort of, I see the piecing this together and bridging it with Jesus's story and and society's talk about the cross in that blood is a payment for sin. Society decided that, not God, um, not for Jesus and not for queer people. Um, we queer people didn't write that story where they suffer, and God didn't write the story where He was vengeful um, and required the blood of His Son. That's something that I think we can see beyond to the love 
that's there because it's really at the heart of both of those. It's the real story behind both of those is love and um, just sort of finding our way into a better version of the story, a healthier, less toxic version of the story. Yeah, that that's wonderful. And and really, I mean, if we move um, even even further down the line, I think than media portrayals, um, and we get into uh, the way that um, that queer individuals have been treated in religious settings, and uh, and it and it can get uh, far more than just you know, subtle, implicit messages. And it can be really explicit messages of mm-hmm. uh, sort of the, the reason for insight number two here. You know, you are, you are not fearfully and wonderfully made. You're, you're wrong about that. Uh, and all of those things, yeah, I mean, if, if it is a part of your experience seeing how often you are scapegoated, then this, the, as you mentioned, this like this, this toxic image of what's going on with God on the cross that makes a lot of people afraid or makes a lot of people like want nothing to do with God, rightfully so, it sort of disappears because you realize that Jesus on the cross is, 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 is the, the example of uh, one standing in front of the violence that's coming from the powerful at a non-powerful person and saying, mm-hmm. you, if, you, if you want somebody to suffer, well, why don't you make God suffer? And I'll expose how wrong your religion is because you're killing God. You're not killing the non-powerful person. God is on the side of the non-powerful person. And so when you kill them, you kill God. Uh, and, and that is, I mean, like, that's a, that's, a, that's a launching off point for a really courageous and, and, and morally, like, you know, uh, connective and, and, uh, and, and something that is mature and healthy when it comes to a theology, rather than the launching off point of the violent God, which just kind of, I think, makes a lot of people feel afraid, but like, they can't ask that question. Should I be afraid of this? Yeah, Definitely. Yeah, I think I certainly, just speaking from an experience of like, uh, there was a, you know, the way that I, I articulate it now is I had this picture that God was really uh, unhappy with me deep down. <clears throat> and the image of the cross was him like uh, beating and killing his own son so that he could feel okay with me. And it was a very painful experience to try to think through that even the sense of you know uh you know we have a good friend that was with us when we the church first started and talks about how you know when he would go visit his his mom over holidays the mom would be they'd be like this time for church and she's like i don't want to go to church and they'd be like well was jesus too tired to die for your sins no you're not too tired to go to church and you know that's an over you know uh, a over exaggeration or hyperbole of an example but i think there was a deep way for me which constantly eroded my trustworthiness uh, in terms of how much I trusted and believed God. Uh, there's kind of this constant anxiety that that produced within me. And kind of while I see how all these things actually speak to each other, and a lot of that went back to binaries, this constant anxiety of like, what if I found myself on the wrong side of a binary? And I think uh, that all of a sudden, like I am in that, that vengefulness for which Jesus was forced to be you know, killed by his father, that really he wanted to beat and kill me, but beat and killed his son instead. Uh, that, that, that's what is waiting for me if I'm falling on the wrong side of this. And most profoundly for my own personal narrative, the, the most kind of 
high stakes binaries were always about sex and the highest no stakes binary was about sexual orientation and the idea that if you fell on that wrong side that like you were now falling on the wrong side of the cross like that anger and uh thing that that was given to jesus was actually like, reserved for you um and that's that was that was very troubling for me a long time lots of and for me to come through the other side and realize it's actually quite the opposite it's actually the fact that jesus uh, in his love and care saw that we live in a world that is is looking for scapegoats we saw in a world that is full of violence and stepped in front of that and said i will be the scapegoat i will be the one to do that it, and because of my care and love and investment for you, not because you need to be afraid of me. Uh, to me, that's felt like an, a deeply helpful thing in terms of like engaging life and faith now. And that's even speaking from the position of privilege where the stakes of it were really different. The stakes of it for me were existential crisis. Like I was not gonna be scapegoated. I was not, I could happily live within the privilege of straight white Christian male. Like the stakes were super low for me. But it was actually the existential crisis got so high within my own reign of like, I just can't make this work for me, that it actually pushed forward a sense of like, I need to change this. Definitely, definitely. And it can be really anxiety inducing in queer people. Um, for, and like, just sort of, I know a lot of people who struggle with the like, what if I'm wrong? What if I'm, what if I'm not? Yeah right in some way and like what if or what if I know who I am and I know I'm right but nobody else around me will be able to see it um it's yeah it produces a whole lot of anxiety just to say again that there is a sense of like I've said this in different settings before but I've had a lot of respectful disagreement with people with Christian leaders before lots of like we see this differently um but it has in the conversation of LGBTQ and where that has existed within our society. It, it, there, you know, uh, to call out Jack McKeegan, a part of his church, he always said like, he felt like there was something spiritual going on in this in some way, because all of a sudden you'd go from reasonable conversation of like, hey, we, we have different starting points, different perspectives, let's, let's try to get to a, a sense of understanding so you can hear what I'm saying into a place of like, we just went to unreasonable, like we're, we're not listening, we're not, like it just goes to this deep emotional reaction place for me that I've had painful conversations with people that I've disagreed with in the past because there was something that came up around this conversation that was like deeply, deeply embedded in something that I, I didn't get. And, um, and I think that's like this sense of like, there is something happening there. And I actually do, that's where Jesus is standing in front of that. If we can, if we can like access him and say, hey, where are you in this? He's actually standing in front of the vitriol, the, the hate, the, the, the place where all of a sudden we go from reasonable to unreasonable places for the sake of care for us. That's wonderful. Yeah, we, uh, so for, for the sake of time, we'll, um, we'll, we'll have to, we'll have to um, start thinking about bringing to a close. I did want to invite in Jen for a moment. Jen, is there any uh, questions or themes from our comments section uh, that, should, that should direct us here? Oh man, absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I think a lot of us are really, you know, resonating with the ideas that we already talk about as a church, which is the out group and the power groups, right? Um, and their uh, determination of um, who's in, who's out, um, and not allowing for complexity. And uh, I, this is so cheesy, man. I just keep thinking, um, 
of like, it's not black and white. It's a spectrum of color. It's a whole rainbow, you know, like God, God is just like bigger than, um, man just wants to make him so small. Man wants to make him small, um, so that he can control who gets access um, and man can, can uh, maintain control. Um, the whole story of the Tower of Babel right there. I was going to say right there. Yes. Man wants to create homogeneity and oneness and through that believe that they can aspire to the greatness of God and God repeatedly communicates, no, go out, be different. I exist within all of you. It's, it's the story of the Tower of Babel. Um, if you could we have a little time, I want to talk to something that Kyle brought up um, about uh, just sort of the idea of anxiety surrounding um, existentialism a little bit. Um, that's something that queer people definitely experience and that I experience. Um, occasionally I get something that I refer to as um, queer imposter syndrome, like where um, my privileged identities make me question whether I deserve my marginalized identity identities. Um, it's a weird place to live in my brain but um basically when that happens I have to sort of let I have to sort of trust and, and imagine like you said Jesus standing in front of me for that and just sort of turning back and going hey I know you deeply if you don't know yourself all the way yet there is room for you to learn there is room in here for you to become a different person a different version of yourself if that's what you need to be I love you do it I will, I will be the buffer while you learn, basically. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, what a great image. And I just think to me, you know, going back to this, um, the, uh, the scapegoat imagery to help us understand Jesus on the cross and you talking about how there are different parts of your identity. You know, one thing that Kyle has brought up a few times um, uh, over the last couple of weeks is um, this kind of like uh, helpful for lack of a better phrase, litmus test to understand like, what is Jesus's message to me? Or what is the, what is the, how might the Bible influence my life? When I'm in a, in a privileged or powerful perspective, the, uh, what Jesus or the Bible does to me is humble me. When I am in a humbled uh, position, a non-powerful position, an, uh, an underprivileged position, then what, uh, what Jesus or what the Bible will do is exalt you. And what you're suggesting is, I mean, that, that existential angst inside makes sense because we are all a mix of identities and we are all a mix of different things that society will tell us about ourselves and have collective opinions about. And so, uh, so in, in, in one sense, it, it's sort of like a, a really honest way to enter in with Jesus is, is to, is to like have in front of you and say, you know, like, am I, am I the, am I the one putting you on the cross right now? Or am I the one you're saving because you're going to the cross on my behalf? And that can be a different answer, maybe even in the same day. Um, but that is a way for us to interact with the God of the universe, who is a God of love and not a violent God. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, this is awesome, and um, I look forward to uh, continuing the conversation in our, our midweek podcast this week, particularly about queer insights on God and faith. Uh, but uh, for now, we'll, we'll uh, bring this to a close. We are, I mean, this makes me all the more excited for uh, our ongoing discussion here 
of uh, God of the Oppressed uh, series of discussions. Uh, we'll, again, we're, we'll be looking at uh, different approaches of, uh, from marginalized peoples and their theologizing of Jesus and of God and, and what it means to connect with Jesus and how do we do that. Uh, and, uh, and we want to centralize those voices right now. Uh, so uh, keep, stay tuned. We'll uh, continue to be uh, in this discussion. Uh, Rebecca, that was awesome. Could, could you pray for us as we just close for now and, and move into the rest of our service? Sure, sure. Um, hey, God, what's up? Uh, happy Pride. <laughs> uh, sorry, I like to start a little casual, especially on a Pride weekend. Um, yeah, I, uh, God, I want you to help us all feel your love overall right now. I want you to just sort of let us all know how accepted we are at whatever stage we're at in our journey, however we identify, wherever our anxieties are. You hold it all, you see it all, it's all okay, nothing is shocking. You know us deeply and you have made us fearfully and wonderfully. Um, and I just pray that you help us see past binaries um, in our lives, that you help us see options that we didn't realize could exist, um, solutions to problems, um, that you help us see with your eyes, empathetically and full of love, and in ways that we know there's no way, there's no way we could be broken. Amen. <laughs>